Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you are here. I'm so glad that you came. How many enjoyed the warm weather this week? Did you all get out and enjoy it? I'll tell you what, I rode my bike my 30 miles. It felt so good. It felt so good. I know some of you are still praying for more snow. Please stop. Those of us who are not feeling snow right now, just please stop. We love that warm weather, and I'll just receive it and uh, believe, God, that we'll have more of it. How many want to have some more warm weather? I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Well, open up your Bibles with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, entering a new passage. Today, we're going to talk about the fivefold ministry. If you're new, we're glad that you're here. We're going through the book of Ephesians this year, the book of Ephesians written by Paul to the people of Ephesus, a Roman city that was one to the Lord, a large group of them. He was there two and a half years, and then he moved on traveling, and he sent back this letter to them to show them how to live for Jesus, to tell them the most important things of the faith. Well, today, we're going to learn about the ministry and what it's like to be a part of the ministry. And guess what? It's going to involve you. The ministry is not just for big eyes and little old U's. Did you get that? The ministry is not just about big old eyes over here on the pulpit doing all the work and then little old U's in the pew. The fivefold ministry gifts, just like the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, and the nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, is for everybody. Somebody say, everybody. Come on, get a little southern and say, for everybody. It's for everybody. It's for you. You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. It's for you. The five-fold ministry is for you. And you're going to learn about it today, and we're going to do an altar call, so I don't want you to be surprised, but we're going to do an altar call at the end of service today for those who want to be anointed and appointed to be used by God in the five-fold ministry or the five dimensions of ministry. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Let's go to the passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Since we're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, we want to do justice to the passage leading up to it, okay? So we don't just want to skip over these verses that come preceding it, but the verses here did not require me to give you an entire message. So I just want you to understand that as you've been tracking with this, not every single passage am I going to spend a week preaching on, and so this passage is one of them. The first few verses here is going to be something that I want you to, to learn, and I'll reference it, I'll give you some information on it, and then I'll go to what I'll be preaching on today. Won't happen a lot in the book of Ephesians, but every now and then it will, just because, like I said, it doesn't require a whole week. But let's look at verse 7, continuing on from last week. But to each one of us, everybody say, each one of us. Okay, so now let's just pause right here. Is there any confusion as we get to the bold portion here in verse 11, talking about spiritual gifts? Is there any confusion who he is talking to here? He is talking to how many of us? How many of us? One more time, how many? All right, each one of us, okay? Each one of us. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, what you need to know about this word here, grace, is that is the same root in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament. It was the language that Paul was preaching in when he would have been speaking to the Ephesians people. It is the same root of the word gift. Everybody say gift. You see, when we look at the word grace, we begin to see the Greek word charis. Everybody say charis. 
Charis here is the, is the root word for gift. Does anybody know the Greek word for gift? Charisma. Everybody say charisma. That is where we get the English term charismatic. Charismatic. You have charisma. You're gifted with a personality, but we also have to go beyond just the personality in the spiritual. In the Bible, charisma, charisma are the gifts. So where do we get charisma from? We get it from charis, the grace of God. So every gift that you have, charisma, you have from the charis, the gift of God. Isn't that awesome? That could be a whole sermon. Maybe I should stop right now and just talk about that. I think I should. Y'all just getting a little excited. I'm getting excited with you because I'm speaking Greek. This is the language of my wife. And so she loves it when I speak Greek, wherever she is. She loves it. Okay, so when we look at the Bible, Paul is telling us each one of us has charis, and we have it as God has given it to us. Why is that important? Because look at what verse 8 says. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave what to his people? Gifts. He gave charisma to his people from his charis. From his grace, he gave gifts. Now, notice when this happened. This is talking about the ascension of Christ before his bodily ascension. This is during the three days he was in the grave spiritually. We will learn in just a moment that before he ascended, he descended to get those captives into Abraham's bosom and then ascended into heaven spiritually to bring the blood of his sacrifice there to the Father at the throne. Then on the third day, he raised physically and then physically ascended 40 days later to heaven. There was a spiritual presentation of his blood to heaven, then the resurrection. Don't get that confused. Just understand that's what it means. Psalm 68:18 is the quote that Paul is using here because remember, the New Testament Christian's Bible was the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written, so please continue to read your Old Testament. It's still God's Word, amen? And that's what they used to reference the things of Jesus. So if you can't find Jesus in the Old Testament, you're doing something wrong. Now, Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament Testament and revealed in the New Testament. But what you'll notice when you go to this passage, and it's good to look at the references whenever they're quoted in the New Testament to see why Paul has the swag that he does, why he picks out the verses. What you'll notice is that there's one little change that he makes as an application. In the Old Testament, Psalm 68, 18, it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he received gifts from the people. Received gifts. That's what it says in the Old Testament. But Paul adds this part in here that he also gave gifts. Why? Because Paul is writing Holy Scripture, and he has the permission to expand it. So not only did Jesus receive gifts, he gave gifts. Can I hear an amen? Now, this is one, I will be honest with you, probably one of the most confusing passages in Ephesians. And that's why when I had to explain to you, he ascended spiritually before he ascended physically. That might have confused some of you. But you have to understand that to understand verses 9 and 10. And this is where a lot of people get confused. So let me read it slowly, and then I will explain it. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Question mark. 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So do you see? There's a down and then there's a going up. But his point starts with the going up. But he explains that before he went up, he went down. And he went into this place that Paul calls the lower earthly regions. What is the name of the lower earthly regions? This is the place the Jewish people know known as Hades, the place of the grave. Now, before Jesus had ascended spiritually to heaven and brought his captives with him into heaven, when the saints of Old Testament people, when the saints of old died, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom, not heaven. This was known as paradise. That was the place that Jesus said he will meet the thief on the cross. This is mentioned in one of Jesus' parables in Luke 16. So before people could go to heaven, they went to Hades, and the good part of Hades was called paradise, also known as Abraham's bosom. The bad part of Hades was hell, Gehenna. There is a difference between, uh, excuse me, I've been saying Hades. I meant to say Sheol. Everybody say Sheol. And Sheol is in some ways related to Hades, but not everything in Sheol is Hades. But Hades is synonymous with hell in a lot of people's understanding, but also it can mean grave. So I want to use the Hebrew word. Hades is a Greek word, by the way. But let's just use the grave word instead of the, the Hebrew and Greek words there. The grave was the place that the dead went, and there was a good place in the grave, in Sheol, known as Abraham's bosom, and then there was a bad place known as Hades, hell, okay? But Hades could also be known as Sheol, the whole entire place called the underworld, the earthly region, so I hope I clarified that. Sorry for any confusion, but now watch this. The Bible says that he has to descend there first. Why? Because when we go to 1 Peter, and it's going to be good for us to look at it, so go to 1 Peter first, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, we will see that he had a work to do and in, in his burial before he raised from the dead. Look at verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for our sins. That's the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He put to death in the body what was made alive in the spirit, okay? After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So you see what he does? He goes and he preaches here to the spirits in prison, and this recognizes those being disobedient. But it, only, it, does, it wasn't only for those who were disobedient, it was also for those who were obedient. So think about this. In the Old Testament, if you disobeyed God, you would go to hell, but you only disobeyed the law of Moses or what you would see as a prophet. When Jesus went into the grave, he goes to hell and he shows them, what you rejected from prophets, you were rejecting me. Your final judgment is now. This is where you'll be. Okay? But then those who accepted the law, the prophets, the people of the Old Testament, he said, what you accepted in partial is now me in full. I will bring you in a new spirit to my Father's kingdom now. These are the captives that he is taking with him as he is coming into heaven. Are you listening to me? So let me go back. Let me go back. I'll get out a drawing board if you all don't get this, okay? So let me go back to help you understand this passage. Jesus dies. He's in the grave. What does he do? He goes down into the lower regions known as Sheol or Hades. 
But then specifically, there are two parts. One, Hades specifically is the hell and the torment. The other place is Abraham's bosom, paradise. He speaks to the wicked of the Old Testament, and he said, you spirits in prison all the way from Noah's days, you rejected me when you were rejecting those people. I am their king. I am your king. Bow before me. He comes as a, as a I don't, don't want to say a pimp, but he comes there as king of kings and lords of lords. Amen? He crushes the devil as well, too, okay? And then, but I'm just sticking here with the passage, and then he goes to Abraham's bosom, the place of paradise, to all of those saints who were waiting for regeneration, who could not have a spiritual rebirth until the ultimate sacrifice was made. All of the things they were doing were types and shadows waiting for this moment that would be able to bring them personally into the presence of God because you could not come unless you were born again. And then he brings them as the ones who were captive. He brings them now into the presence of God. And Revelation now says all of us go there. They're all there waiting for God to come back to earth. Are you listening? After he did that work, he goes down, he goes up, then he comes back down and raises Jesus from the dead. That was the work of his three days in the grave. And then he lives for 40 days with the people on earth, and then he ascends physically to heaven. How many believe that? Okay, if you don't believe that, study this passage. I could have spent a whole entire sermon on it. Should I have spent it on that? Uh, on that? Some of you like this, but I feel like that is just enough for us to continue on in the sermon series, okay? So let us go to the passage that we are here to study because it says, when he did this, he gave gifts. Now remember, the gifts is for each one of us from the grace of God. So when the death, burial, and resurrection is happening and all those things in between, it's so that he may establish the church upon the earth as he is in heaven and the great commission can go forth and the world can be brought to him and made disciples and then judgment day will come, amen? So let's read verses 11 and 12 together. One, two, three. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I'll continue reading. Thank you. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Therefore, uh, then rather, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Everybody go, ooh. See, people can lie to you, right? Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, everybody say grow, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, this is where we get the idea of the body of Christ, from Jesus, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in what? What does it build itself up in? In love as each part does its what? Its work. Thank you. So let's just tie this together. Everybody look up at the scripture, please. God's grace has given us all gifts. When did he give us those gifts? In the time of his death and then the resurrection. In between that time while he was in the grave. He made a way for us to have the perfect relationship with the Father. He became the mediator. He regenerated the souls of those in times past so that when he would raise, now all of us can be born again, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and have a relationship with him. What 
are the primary gifts he gave us? What are the gifts that we should be the most thankful for after our salvation? Should we be thankful for our jobs? Should we be thankful just for our families and the life that we can live? No. The number one thing we should be thankful for after we have been given the gifts of salvation, the gift of salvation, is the gifts of leadership in the church. This is the governmental structure of the kingdom of God on the earth and one day to rule and reign forever with Christ. So right now, my friends, this is not make-believe. This is the government structure of the church of Jesus Christ, which will rule the nations. And we've talked about that before here, haven't we? We don't just stay in heaven, do we? We come back to earth with Christ, with a physical body, like how he was raised from the dead, we're raised from the dead. Heaven is a temporary place until judgment day. Well, then what happens after judgment day? You just go fishing? You just play basketball? You live out all your fantasies you didn't get to do on earth? No, it's time to work in the kingdom. It's time to rule and reign over the nation that are remaining from the time of Armageddon. If the earth has about 7 billion people now, the Bible says upwards of half after all the curses and all the horsemen of the apocalypse, after everything is said and done, there'll probably be 3 billion people left on the earth. Depending how many Christians have passed and the present who are here now and all of the past, there may be about a billion of us, so one out of three will be Christians. We will rule and reign over them for the next thousand years. And the Bible says even a child will live to be 100 years old. People will have long lives. They'll be multiplying and being fruitful. The population of the planet and it will explode. And we're going to rule and reign. But now until then, the church is the invisible kingdom of God. Though, of course, you're not invisible and the building we meet in is not invisible. But our authority is invisible. We don't rule with swords. We don't rule with threats. We don't rule with a military force. We rule by the Holy Spirit. So people can say, well, I believe it or don't believe it. They can choose to walk in or walk out the church. They can say bad things and naughty things about us. They can do whatever they want. But the bottom line is when the age of the church has ended. And you have to always understand when the Bible talks about ages that you are in an age right now. I love watching Lord of the Rings and it talks about the different ages that were upon that planet there. But you see, we are in an age right now, the age of the church, and this age will eventually end. He says, I'm sh I'll surely be with you to the very ends of the age. Well, what is the, the point of this age? The point of this age is to therefore go and make disciples of all the what? of all the nations. And whenever that is done, he will come back and this age will end and the visible church will rule and reign. So right now, I don't know who of you is actually in the church. You're attending a church, but I don't know if you're in the body of Christ today. I don't know if you're literally born again, joined him. Now, you should know that. You should have assurance of that, but I don't know. So it's an invisible membership, in other words. You can have pastors shucking and jiving and lying and people lying and all that, but the visible church will rule and reign. We will see on that day what we did here in the 80 years we were on, on the earth. Or, you know, Whatever we did for God will be revealed, the Bible says, and we'll be known by the crowns that we wear. So we will have crowns. We will have authority. We will have rewards. Not everybody will have the same rewards. The Bible says Jesus told his disciples, look, I come quickly. My reward is with me. I will give a reward to each one according to what they have done. Now, why do I say all of that? Because this is the purpose of the fivefold ministry. Let's see if you can see the five gifts that God gives the church to do ministry. What's the first one? What's the second one? Prophets, what's the third one? What's the fourth one? What's the fifth one? 
teachers. Now, right here, you may say to yourself, well, that's somebody else. No, it just said right up here, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, and he gave gifts to his people. Now, I don't know about you, but if everybody's getting a gift, I want a gift. Now, I don't want Bernie Sanders kind of gifts because that's going to cost you in the long run. Can I hear an amen for Illinois people that are tired of high taxes? Yeah, free stuff ain't free, young people. Let me just tell you that right now. But if everybody was getting a gift, would you want a gift? So who are you to look back at God and say, well, you didn't give me a gift? Well, that's actually disagreeing with the Scripture. So now the question isn't, are you uh, given a gift? No, the question is, which one are you up here? Which one are you? Are you an apostle? Are you a prophet? Are you an evangelist? Are you a pastor? Or are you a teacher? Now, if you say, I am none of those, well, then what I will just say right back to you, well, then you are not his people. (laughs) Because all of his people get these gifts. All of his people, each one of us, get these gifts. And so now we're responsible to use these gifts for the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? So let me just break them down so you can start to pray and see which ones God has given you. Apostles are disciples that are sent out to start and oversee new churches. Today's missionaries and church planners can be considered modern-day apostles. Paul is a biblical example of an apostle, Romans 1, verse 1. Now, we know there's a difference from the original apostles because they walked with Jesus or had personal encounters with Jesus and then wrote the Scripture. They will have 12 thrones and rule upon those thrones in Jerusalem. I believe Paul is the one who replaces Judas, so that makes the 12. Their names will be written along the foundational stones of the city of Jerusalem. This is happening, folks. So though we cannot be an original apostle, we can do the apostolic work and be an apostle if we're called to plant churches. God called me to do that. God called my wife to do that. Now remember, no big eyes and little U's. God could call you to do that. God could call you to be a missionary. One of our members in the second service, her dad does construction work. Guess what God told her dad to do? Go build and start churches in Haiti. Okay, bye, Dad. He didn't think he had the gift of an apostle, but God said, you have one. I'm going to use you to do it. So you may not always know what gifts you have, but you should start to pray on them, and maybe God will start giving you the desires of your heart. Some of you may already know, obviously, but that might have been a shock to him. My dad was a businessman, very successful, but my dad had the calling to be an evangelist and a pastor, went and got his degree. Now he's doing that. It doesn't always have to be full-time, but you can just see God works in people's lives. God has given you gifts, and he wants you to use them. We'll talk about how to use them in just a moment. Prophets are disciples that speak on behalf of God and give spiritual guidance to the church. They're using the gift of prophecy and are given dreams and visions that help direct the local church. Agabus is a biblical example of a prophet in Acts chapter 21 verse 10. Now let me just say this once again because I didn't reiterate it and I think I should. Some denominations or churches teach this is a sacred group of people and there's only the big eyes and little use. But what would you say back to them if they say, well I'm an apostle you'll never be one. I'm a pastor you'll never be one. What would you do? Would you give them your opinion or just take them right back to the scripture. Just take him back to the scripture. Say, I'm in each one. Hello, bishop so-and-so. I'm in each one. I, I don't know about you, but I'm part of his people. And if there were gifts given out that day, I wanted to receive them too. And so, of course, I received them. Now, we may not always know them, like I said, but God has given them to us. They come in the package of salvation. How many know when you got saved, there was a lot of things deposited in you? You may not know all the things yet deposited in you, but they're all there. 
the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the ministries of the Spirit. Those are the three different kinds of gifts that God gives us. The fruit, which recognizes our character in Christ, the love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. The spiritual gifts that allow us to have the supernatural power of God. And then the ministry gifts that allow us to go out and serve the world and win people to Jesus and do the building up of the church. Who are evangelists? They're disciples that are sent out from the church to win souls and train new soul winners. Philip is a biblical example of an evangelist in Acts 21.8. What about pastors? Now, this is the thing. I don't know what happened. I wasn't around at this time. But somehow the pastors got along, uh, got all together, and must have came up with a conspiracy to say, hey, guys, psst. Let's get rid of all the other four gifts and let's make us the ones in charge here and tell everybody else they're not important. And then everybody in the church will call us a pastor and we'll take this thing over. It's like the Power Ranger who goes rogue and the yellow guy's now in charge. Hello, yellow guy. How'd you get in charge? It doesn't say the pastors are in charge. This is not how it's supposed to work. All of these people have equal authority. I'll show you in a moment how we know who's in charge and how we have order, because we do have order in the church. But pastors are not the only ones that are supposed to be in charge doing things in the church. And pastor, singular, is not the only one in the church doing something for God. That's my pastor. I pay him to do stuff for God. You know, I just sit here on the pew all the time. Maybe that's why I stink, and that's why they call it a what? A pew, right? So I don't do nothing. He does every. No, that's not how it is. We all have been given gifts. Now, what does a pastor do? Pastor makes a lot of money, lives in a nice house, drives a nice car. Is that what a pastor does? Sells books and has conferences, gets on TV. No, this is what a pastor does. Maybe you have this gift. Disciples that shepherd and care for the disciples in the local churches by preaching and teaching. Now, remember, most of the churches back then were home Bible studies. Anybody here preach and teach in a home Bible study? The elders in 1 Peter 5 are biblical examples of pastors and shepherds. There was many of them, not just one. And then lastly, we have teachers. Everybody say teachers. Teachers, teachers are the disciples that do what? What do you think teachers do? They teach in the local church. They instruct the doctrine and on the Christian living. Barnabas is a biblical example of an appointed teacher in the church, and that's found in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. So there's your five-fold ministry description. Now, I know some of you like to take personality tests online. I wish I could give you a spiritual gift test and tell you what your gifts are. Some silly people have actually made them. Don't believe them, okay? Only God can tell you what gifts you have, and then it can be confirmed by those who know and love you, okay? So don't try to go be weirdy, okay? Don't go be a spiritual weirdy. I'm a prophet because this online survey said I'm a prophet. You know, it's just, it's as, that is as reliable as you finding out what spirit animal you are, okay? Or what character you are from some sitcom, okay? But listen to me. The, the Jesus who saved you and the Holy Spirit who fills you will tell you, and then God will raise you up, and the people around you will recognize this. Now where does the rubber meet the road? How do we know that an apostle is an apostle and we should follow them, a prophet, a pastor, etc.? How do we know? Well, we just learned these are gifts. Everybody say gifts. Remember, that's what they are. They're gifts. But the Bible also talks about offices. Everybody say an office. That's a position. So you may have one of these gifts. That doesn't mean it's time for you to start teaching and pastoring. You need to fulfill the qualification of the office, and there's two of them. Watch this. The fivefold ministry gifts are given by God, and those who have them must walk worthy of their calling to be appointed to the church offices of what? Elder or deacon. See, those are the offices that those who have the gifts serve in. 
Like I said, I don't know how the pastors got in charge calling everybody a pastor and they're the ones in charge. No, the elders and deacons are in charge. And apostles are elders, prophets are elders, teachers are elders, evangelists are elders. Are you listening? And and deacons, apostles are deacons and all of those things. You have to see the offices. Elder is the one that's in charge. The deacon is the elder's assistant. That's how it was in the early church. No other positions really existed. Go look through the Bible and find any more for me. Find a cardinal. Find a pope. I double dog dare you to do it. You won't find it. It's elders and deacons. We are anointed with, here's the way to look at it, we're anointed, this is a gift that God gives by the Holy Spirit, with the ministry gifts by God. Everybody say anointed with gifts, and everybody say appointed to ministry offices. So God gives you the gift, I don't have anything to do that, that's the anointing. But the leaders do the appointing. We have to check out your life. And see, what kind of an apostle are you going to be? Are you going to start a church where the poles are used for strippers to get all your friends to come and throw money? Come on. Are you going to have free pot in the parking lot? What kind of church are you going to start? You're going to ordain homosexuals? You're going to be uh, saying that there's no life in the womb we can kill children? I mean, we're not going to start churches based on that character. You're going to have a wife and three girlfriends. You're going to steal money. See, there has to be a way to test the character of those who have the gifts. In other words, there's no place in the New Testament that says, this is how you know what an apostle is, or this is how you appoint a prophet. It doesn't tell you any way to put them in their positions, because the Bible only tells you about two positions and what you must do to be in those positions. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 10, this is a true saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop or overseer, which is also elder in Greek, he desires a good work, and let those first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon, decano, being found blameless. Look at the word elder in the Greek, it's presbyterios, the word bishop is episkopos. Some have tried to make the word bishop and elder two kinds of positions, that's not true. They are interchangeable and used in the same position of the main leaders in the church. Let me take you to Titus chapter 1, another letter of Paul, and Paul wrote Timothy as well. Can I hear an amen? It says, I appoint, I left you there in Crete that you may appoint elders. Everybody say elders. That is the Greek word, presbyteros. That's where Presbyterians get their name from. Episcopalians get their name from the other word. Now watch. An elder must be blameless. Here's all the things that the elder must do. Now in verse 7 he says, since an overseer. Everybody say an overseer. Do you see how he changed the term from elder to overseer? This is no difference from me saying the boss must do this, the boss must do that, and the leader must be like this. The boss and leader are synonymous terms. Are you listening? The word overseer and elder are describing the same exact person here. Does everybody get that? Sometimes I feel like I go so fast. goes over some people's heads. The word bishop comes from the word episkopos. The word presbyter comes from the word presbyteros. They are shared here talking about the same exact person. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since the overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered. Do you notice the switch he just made there? He said up here, the elder must be this, now the overseer must be this. Is he talking about two different positions, or is it the same position being titled two different things? Am I a boss when I come to work at Metro Praise? Yes. Am I also the leader of Metro Praise? Yes. So which one am I, the boss or the leader? Both. Am I an elder? Yes. Am I an overseer, a bishop? Yes. Am I one or the other? No, I'm both. 
It's just the same word. Don't let that be confusing. That's what Paul is teaching us here. And the main word used, and why we use the word elder, is it's the main word used all throughout the book of Acts where we get the history of the church and learn how to have church. Everybody say, have church. Amen. We better do it their way. If you go to Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed what? Elders for them in each church. That is the word episkopos, or excuse me, presbyteros. See if I could get my words right today. Presbyteros, and that's Presbyterian, right? Episkopos is the word bishop. It's the same position. They appointed them to the Lord, uh, appointed them for the Lord to be leaders. Now, does it show them ever appointing in the New Testament any of these fivefold ministry gifts? Does it ever show them appointing a apostle? Does it ever show them appointing a prophet? Does it ever show them appointing evangelists? a pastor or a teacher, yes or no? No, it never says, hey, you're a teacher. Let me get you up here and do it. It never writes in the Bible. Here's how you know what a teacher does. They teach really good. Everybody likes listening to them. Appoint them. No. Only positions in the church are elder and deacon, written in two books, First Timothy and Titus, and then described in the book of Acts. That's how we make leaders in the church. Now, is everybody supposed to be a leader? Yes. Let's go back to that. If you don't know that, go back to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Can I hear every leader? Excuse me. Every believer is supposed to be a leader. Let's look at verse 19. Therefore, go and make what? Of how many nations? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what? To obey everything I've commanded you. Now watch this. Can I be a disciple that teaches other disciples how to be a disciple unless I have a fivefold ministry gift? No, I have to be gifted in that way to do it. That's who he's talking to here are those who are gifted. He says to his disciples, these are the disciples he's talking to, and he says, go and make disciples. Well, don't they have to be gifted as evangelists to go win new disciples? Don't they have to have the gift of being a prophet or a church planner to start new churches and to prophesy and do those things? Don't they have to be gifted as pastors to shepherd over those people? So those guys needed those gifts to fulfill this command, but now part of their command is then for them to teach the new disciples to obey everything they were commanded to do. In other words, listen, if the first disciples needed spiritual gifts to make disciples, how about the disciples after them? Do they need spiritual gifts? Yes, we all need the spiritual gifts to make disciples. That's why it says in the passage that each one of us has been given this grace because God gave gifts to his people. Do you see the message here today? That's the message. The message is we are to be a church of leaders. We are to be a church of disciples that make disciples. And then you are to search your heart and to ask the Lord, what gifts do I have, and begin to operate in those gifts. Now, there will be those among us who may be outstanding in these gifts. Then there will be those who are supportive in these gifts. Well, thank God, there's two offices. There are the elders, the ones that will be primary in these gifts raising up all the others, being in charge. And then there'll be the deacons, those who serve the elders with the same kind of gifts, helping and assisting. Does everybody get that? So before I was ever an elder apostle, guess what I was? A deacon apostle. God gave me the gift to start churches when I was in Bible college, and I had to be a deacon and serve the elder apostle of the Bible college and help him start a church in his house.
else. See, I was a deacon apostle, then I became an elder apostle. What about a pastor? We can have deacon pastors and elder pastors. It just shows the authority and the time that you've matured in your gifting. And this is the point of why he gives us these gifts. Why does he give us these gifts? He lists it out in that passage. Number one, to equip the church to go to conferences and buy books. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as the leaders, elders, and deacons in the church with the fivefold ministry is get you to buy our books and make money off you? No, we're supposed to equip you for what? Works of service. So do you see how it just keeps recycling? Disciples are gifted by Jesus with spiritual gifts to make new disciples who are supposed to have spiritual gifts to make new disciples who are supposed to go out and make new disciples that have spiritual gifts to make new disciples that have spiritual gifts. That's the work of the church. We're supposed to give Plexus and Amway and Prime America a run for their money. They learn this from us. We don't die. We multiply. Everyone in the church is to pray and see what gift do they have. And if I had time, I can name every a gift at least that everyone that I know here, a gift that I at least see in your life. Easily, Anthony, teaching, uh, my brother Juan, easily pastoring, evangelizing. Everyone that I know here, so easy to point out your gifts. It, it's not even hard. But you've got to be convinced you have these spiritual gifts. You have to believe that you're called to teach. Prophet Stephanie, you know, um, Abigail, prophet. I mean, it's so easy. I mean, we could just go around all day. I've, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know how to equip people for works of service, amen? Every now and then I'm off. I'll put a prophet in an evangelist role, whatever. But it's okay because we're all supposed to win souls anyways, right? But the idea is I've been doing this for a while. I can recognize the gifts. Just like Carlos can recognize a straight line when he's cutting boards and doing construction, just like you can recognize a product is off, you know, at the wrong shelf on your job or a person that you're managing or a business you own is not operating right or when it does operate, you know good from bad. I know the same thing. I can tell when you're operating in your gift and I can tell when you're not. And so the, the idea is here, we who have already accepted our gifts and have been trained in our gifts are to now train you to accept your gift, your calling, and to get busy working for the Lord. Amen? Come on. Can you say amen? Because we are to build up and grow the body of Christ. We all are to build up the body of Christ. We are to help the church reach unity in the faith. We are to encourage each other with our gifts so that the world might know Jesus. We're to help the church grow in the knowledge of God. Parents, we know obviously you're called to be a teacher to your children. How about to your children's parents and friends? You see, you start spreading that knowledge. You go through our discipleship. You can show yourself to be approved. Start off as a deacon, become an elder. You can use your gifts for God. And then lastly, we are to mature the church to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me read it as Adam begins to come, please, in closing. See this as the purpose of the spiritual gifts. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, number one, until we all reach unity in the faith, number two, the knowledge of the Son of God and mature obtaining to the whole measure and then not being tossed back and forth by the waves or the wind of doctrine instead speaking the truth in love, number five, and becoming mature to all who he is the head, that is Christ. Now watch this last part right here, verse 16 in closing. For from him, Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its what? Come on, as each part does its what? 
I want you guys to think about this as we get ready to close. Are you willing to do the work of the ministry? Are you willing to do it? Because today, God doesn't want you just to sit on this pew and take up a seat and not go out there and win souls. He wants you to accept your calling. Altar workers and band, would you come please? You remember I told you we're going to end with an altar call. So let's start simple right here. We'll have you come in just a moment, and we're not going to embarrass anybody, but these prayer workers that are going to be coming up here, our elders and deacons, have the gifts of the ministry, okay? No big eyes, little use, but they're going to pray with you, okay? But here's what we'll start off today. If you're not born again, get born again by accepting Christ into your heart. If you want help with that, they'll pray with you and just walk you through that, the belief in Christ to be your Savior, your Lord. But here's really what I want us to do after we do that, because I know many of you are already Christians. I want you to come up if you're doubting or not sure or need clarity in the gifts that God has given you, that you want to know, that you actually take what we're doing seriously here in the church. So like when God told us to study the book of Ephesians and to learn from them, we actually came upon this passage about spiritual gifts, and you're going to take it serious now. That means you're going to ask God to speak it to you. Unless you think the people of Ephesians are better than you and you're not God's hente. Well, you ain't God's people? How many are God's people here today? How many are in each one? Well, that means no one should walk out if you're not knowing their gift. Nobody should walk out if you're saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. We want to pray for you. And here's one of the greatest things that you can do if you haven't already, get baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. It's because if you read the book of Acts, that's how it starts with the disciples. It's getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and they use their gifts. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual experience where God ignites your hearts, gives you a heavenly prayer language, and then initiates you to use the nine gifts of the Spirit. For what? Why do we get nine gifts of the Spirit? So I can be the next Cleo at 1-900, let me tell you your future? No, I don't get a gift of prophecy so that you can think I'm so awesome. I get the gift of prophecy to build the church up, to be an elder or a deacon that has a gift, a ministry gift, to be a great teacher. I don't get the gift of discerning spirits to, to be an apostle, to point out people and just call them out on who they are. Well, you're this kind of person. Come up and repent. I know who you are. You know, no, come on. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to build up the church, all of us, in our homes, in our jobs. My dad has been a pastor before he was an ordained pastor. Do you get it? God gave him the gift. As his life went on, he discovered it. He, he, he was able to see it. I want you to discover your gifts. You're in each one. You're in the body, and God wants you to do the work. Amen? And for me, there ain't nothing like working for the Father. See, this brother right here, he owns a cafe called Nini's Deli. If you haven't been there, check it out. But I'll tell you what, whenever they have kids... You know, him and Yolis, man, what an honor it's going to be to grow up in that father's business, just like how he grew up in his father's business. They're going to love working with him. They're going to love being in dad's business, learning all the tricks of the trade. We get to do that with the father. Jesus said, I'm doing my father's business. That's what Jesus said he was doing. And then he appointed us to have the honor of doing the father's business. It's an honor to be a teacher. It's an honor to be an evangelist. It's an honor to do those things. And guess what? In some way, all of us will do all of them at one point. 
When you help start a new Bible study, you're kind of doing the work of an apostle. When you get a prophetic word, you're like doing the work of a prophet. You may not have that gift fully, but you'll be used in it. When you teach somebody, when you pastor somebody and tell them how much God loves them, when you win a soul doing the work of an evangelist, as you grow in Christianity, you'll see that you'll have your fingers in all of these at some point. But let's pray that you get confident in at least one or two and say, this is what I know I'm called to do and build the church. It's my gift, or the gift that God gave me. And if you haven't joined the discipleship, then do. Amen? Because in the 101 and the 201, that's where we help you discover it and get appointed to the leadership. 75 teenagers here Friday. Does anybody have the gift of pastoring and teaching teenagers? Every week, 50, 60, 70 children on Wednesdays. Anybody have the gift to teach and pastor children? In our life groups, the life groups, the Wednesday Bible study for adults in Spanish, the three on Friday collectively every week have around 100 adults. Anybody here want to evangelize with them? They went out this weekend to the bus stops and all of those things. Anybody want to pastor co-workers, your friends? Anybody want to reach out? Come on. Love on people. Let's do it. Amen. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray and dismiss. And when we dismiss and say au revoir, those who are hungry, because I'm not going to manipulate you and say, like, hey, do I got an apostle? Do I got an apostle? I got an apostle. Come on now. Come on now. Come on. Do I got a prophet? A prophet? A prophet? I see a prophet over there. I see it. Do I got an evangelist? An evangelist. Give me an evangelist. Give me another. Give me another. We're not doing that. Because here's my deal. If, if we, if we got to play a slow song for you to cry and me to shout at you to come up, you've missed the whole point. You should already be considering this an honor. And if there's any confusion in this, you should be ready to rush up here, be prayed for, seek God with other elders and deacons, and get it on. So this is what we're going to do. Simple. I'm going to pray. And if you want to be saved and be sure of your salvation, come up with those who need the gifts as well. And those who just want to know about their gifts and be filled with the Holy Ghost and have that encounter and know that when you're leaving today, you're a part of the body of Christ doing its work. I want you just to come up as we sing. Amen. So let's stand up and I'll pray. Let's give it up for Jesus first. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Gracias, Señor. Lord, we thank you for today. We ask you, Lord, that this message will settle in our hearts, that those who are not saved will get saved. Those who are filled with your Holy Spirit will. Those who are not sure of their giftings will receive a clear call. And that, Lord, then all of us will support the body of Christ, work in the body of Christ, win souls and make disciples until you come back to rule and reign with the body of Christ, your bride. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, everybody said, Give it up for Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you want to come up and pray and seek God with us, come and do that. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Thank you for coming. God bless you. We love you today, Lord. Set us on fire. Bless those that have to go. And meet those at these altars, Lord, who want to seek your face. God bless you as you have to go. But those who want to stay, Let's get sure of our salvation, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the ministry. Let's live this out today. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Feel free to tell the prayer worker what you need. No one wants to embarrass you, but just let them know. Let them know if you need prayer for salvation, prayer for the baptism, 
for the assurance of your call. We love you, Lord. Bless your people. If all of our prayer workers are filled up, just wait. They'll come to you. Lord, bless your people. Set us on fire for your calling, God. Use us. Use us. Use us, God.